Good morning, Randy Tobler in for Gary Nolan. A real thrill to sit in the big guy's chair. Thank you for being with us. Hope your weekend went great. If you're a Kansas City and Mizzou fan, it went really well. Of course, uh, lots going on nationally as well. Glad you're here. The numbers are 874-9395-738-749390 if you want to give me a a call or a text about anything we talk about this morning. Bill Barr was at it with Margaret Hoover recently, and I think he had a lot to say. We'll be covering some of that regarding election fraud, regarding the deep state. And there's uh, there's other issues going on. Mike Pence uh, stands by his guns on abortion. In case you didn't catch it, Eli Drinkwitz, the coach of the Mizzou Tigers, created a little stir and a lot of social media pushback. Brian Hansen, did you see that? I did, (laughs) yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, And and that's on top of him uh, abdicating the play-calling throne, apparently, right? So, I mean, uh, he's in the news. Yes, he is. As well as, uh, I, I have to hand it to you, unlike... Newsman Brian Hausworth's <laughs> way off predictions. Well, we all make mistakes. <laughs> With Mizzou you know. against Tennessee last week, you were within four points. Yeah, you know. You said 42 10, New Mexico I did. State That's would what lose I to Mizzou. That's happen. 42 10, Mizzou. And it was 42 14, man. That's when, good. When uh, I looked at the score, I walked away and it's like, oh, wait, we're at. Yeah. <laughs> Real close to what yeah. I called. So log on to briansbookies.com. Yeah, don't do that. Next week. No, don't. Don't do it. It'll don't never happen it. again. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Biden administration gives uh, the Saudis uh, and this, uh, this Saudi prince, I mean, the guy who slaughtered Khashoggi. Remember that guy? Jamal Khashoggi? They gave the Saudi prince immunity over the weekend or, well, late last week. So there's stuff all over the uh, all over the globe, nationally, regionally, and statewide. And and uh, by the way, uh, Jim Talent. Speaking of internationally, we haven't covered many international topics for a while, so I want to do that. Uh, at least on my show, I haven't been able to to you know circle back to uh, to the Ukraine. And I know there's lots of what feelings are you, Jen about Saki Ukraine. Or something? Yeah, I'm going to circle back. I knew you'd catch that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd give me the buzzer on that. Uh, almost. <laughs> and. Um, but I want to talk to Senator, former Senator Jim Talent, of course, who is um, uh, who's a really expert on a wonk on policy and defense policy. And I think he may have opinions that some of you may disagree with. But there are good arguments from good, solid American patriots, namely Jim Talent, uh, who loves this country just as much as anyone in the studio or listening loves this country. And, and we're going to get his take at about 920 at 10 o'clock, there's a guy who's auditioning for some radio gigs around town. Uh, and uh, so we're going to call it uh, Audition with Brandon Rathert at, uh, at oh, 10 Oh, so he's still looking for a job. Still looking for a job. And he's got this idea about a show called Wake Up Mid-Morning Mid-Missouri. Yeah. And we're going to see how that, that works up in the mid-morning. We're going to talk with Brandon. Because I always like to hear his take on things. And for listeners in Springfield, he does the great morning show along with Stephanie and... News director Brian Howsworth and John Marsh and producer Hannah, um, and so we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that uh, with, with him and some things going on. There, there's an interesting thing that it, while it's a Columbia thing, it it raises the it, it raises the it's a big deal tonight at the county council meeting, but it raises a point about our privacy versus our security, and this is the constant American tension. 
I mean, we, we gave up some security at post 9-11. Every time you take off your shoes and your belt and unload your pockets in the tray. And formerly were, mis- were, were abused verbally by the TSA people. But I think they've become, I don't know what's happened in the TSA culture. But I have to say, over the, over the years, TSA people on balance have become almost like hospitality workers in some venues. Really good people, really nice, courteous. They, you know, they want to give you a nice experience. Don't you think so, Brian? I mean, it's really improved uh, no. over the years. Uh-uh. No. No. <laughs> no, it's I, thanks, it, Thanksgiving week. Yeah. We're trying to be, we're trying to show gratitude, Brian. Well, I'm just giving you my personal experience. <laughs> you want me to lie about my personal experience? You got and that how sound from the Grinch that stole Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> when I flew out of Kansas City yeah. and uh, was flying for the Tiger Network, mm-hmm. and I had a bunch of uh, electronic equipment, Okay, and I thought, you know, they were going to screen that, obviously. They need to because sure. there's wires and all kinds of stuff. You bet. And I was asked to step aside for a little bit because I had to carry on. Okay. And it went 45 minutes in the plane. I mean, it was five minutes before the plane was taking off. Wow. And so I walked up to the uh, booth and I said, hey, uh, what's going on? And they kept saying, we'll be with you in a minute. Oh. I was like, okay. Oh. So I went and continued to be seated. Finally, they motioned me up to the counter and they said, Mr. Hanson, we have a little problem. I said, okay. Ooh. And that is... And they put head and shoulders shampoo bottle that I had in my carry-on okay. on the counter. And they said this. And I looked and it's like, what? what's the deal? They said it's 12 ounces. Oh, there you go. Nope. Like, well, throw it away. Yes, sir. You should have sharpied out the one. I, I mean, two ounces, wow, I think they delayed the me 45 minutes for that. Yeah. Incredible. Well, well, no, but how long ago was that? It was probably, Recently? no, it was 10 years ago, well, no, probably. No, but that's my point. I think things have improved. And, I, yeah, I think I think things have improved. I really do. Now, did they frisk you? Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, did yeah, they, did they the, light up afterwards? I don't <laughs> was know. Was it good for them? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just wanted to do my, do my thing and get out of there. I got to tell you, no, I had a problem with, well, not only TSA, but customs and everything uh, initially after it. Now, everyone was on high alert. I get that. But I got to tell you, should I tell the story about our experience in a connection flight in Atlanta? I don't know if you did. This was within, within a, I don't know, a year probably. And we went, we like to go diving every year or two down in the Caribbean somewhere. Usually it's cheapo. We can go to Cozumel. Great. You know, it's cheap. It's great diving, you know, affordable so we had a connection through Atlanta, but the way it worked out, it was late night. And this is when people were pretty, still pretty worried. And there was clearly a, uh, there was an anti-Muslim sentiment then that was much stronger than it is now. I mean, I think, you know, you, every, every person that looked like they were from the Middle East uh, or in any way resembled Muhammad Atta. And, and you know, you Look, I think we, we all tend to stereotype. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's the nature of biology, right? I mean, when horses see uh, any te- potential predator animal coming near them, they run. That and whether that animal is turns out to be friendly or not. At any rate, um, and we come back now. My wife, we, my wife, you've met my wife, right? Yes, I have. She's she's very des- she's lucky to have a guy like me that looks like Fabio. You know what I mean? <laughs> what have you been drinking this morning? I got the Baileys in the coffee this yeah, morning. No, that, no, no. Can I have some? Well, it's holiday week. 
No, I mean, yeah, gorgeous woman, beautiful woman. She's as beautiful as she is smart and, and caring. And she's, um, let's just say, my wife is just a beautiful woman all the way around. Okay. She had a tube top on because we were returning from Cozumel and she had sunburn on her shoulders and whatever. So, you know, I swear as God is my witness, where it's late at night, it's the only gate that's open. And we had rushed to get some, some carry-out, Chinese or something, before they closed. It was like 9 o'clock. We got there at 5 to 9, and the plane takes off at 9.30, and we just wanted to gobble something down before we hadn't eaten all day. And, and so we are the last ones to board because, you know, we always take the, you know, group 10 <laughs> seats. <laughs> and... And she, so we're in front of a couple of guys who I swear to goodness, they, these guys look like they could have taken that plane and flown it into the Pentagon. I'm not kidding. These guys were just your stereotypical. They looked exactly like the mugshot of the people that brought down the Twin Towers. Oh, boy. I'm not kidding you. Two of them behind us. And actually, I was talking with them. They were friendly. My wife was in front of me. And guess what? The TSA guys at the gate, at the gate. Our airport officials, TSA, I don't know who it was, pulled her out for a... <laughs> I'm not kidding you, Brian. And they didn't bother looking at her face, if you know what I mean. Right. She had a tube top. I, I, as you know, I can get a bit reactive when, Unbelievable. when things are not conducted in a principled right. and fair manner. Because we are truth seekers and woke destroyers. That's what we do. And... And I went a little ballistic. I said, hey, what the hell? I said, you got a couple of guys behind. Why aren't you check? They went on through. Unbelievable. And I said, what's the deal? Oh, it's a random inspection. Uh -huh. I said, show me the numbers that were picked. Show me the, the lottery bucket with the numbers of there were, you know, 100 passengers. Show me that number 97 on the flight was, you know, to be picked. Really? I was never treated. And it got into a little scuffle. And I actually saw security coming down the <laughs> down the hall because I was getting worked up. I said, this is ridiculous. I said, you, my wife, these guys, they took me over <laughs> to the side. I said, really? I mean, I went, I went a little ballistic. I can see that. And and it turns out, so on the plane, those, I, the flight attendants treated me like I was the king of England. I mean, <laughs> yes, sir, is everything okay? Sort of patronizingly, mm -hmm. like they were afraid something... And I wasn't, I'm not a kind of guy that's going to go that ballistic. I will verbally go ballistic. I would never do anything violent, never. And, but I, I kept saying, look, this was unfair. My wife was, was singled out, obviously, because of what, the way she was dressed and the way she looks. And they bypassed a couple of guys who were, by all empiric standards, were the ones to put this plane at risk. Not me, not, not my wife. It turns out we were sitting behind or in front of a gal who's, whose son was in security, airport security. Guess what? She said, you know what? It's, that's why they pick out little old ladies in wheelchairs and six-year-old kids with their teddy bear and your wife because they can't appear to be... This was like 2002, yeah. two, three, right? They can't appear to be profiling. Yes. And I... I started to go ballistic again. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is when we should be profiling. That's right. Absolutely. Oh, boy. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to Jim Talent. <laughs> that story just, that was, the, that was the beginning of woke, and I didn't even realize it. That's when it was called political correctness. Well, we're going to talk about foreign policy correctness with Jim Talent when we come back. 
On the Gary Nolan Show, Randy Tobler in for Gary. Be right back. Welcome back to the Gary Nolan Show. Randy Tobler in for Gary this morning. Great to be with you in this beginning of a great Thanksgiving week. We give thanks that we're not locked down and masked for the first time in a long time. Former Senator Jim Tallon joins us now, chairman of the Reagan Institute's National Leadership Council. Lots to talk about on foreign policy. Jim, thank you for joining me. It's good to be with you, Randy, and I uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, me too. Uh, gratitude is in short supply, and I hope that folks, after a very contentious and not only political, but I just think across our, our nation, there's, there's so much division and hostility. Boy, I just hope that people are thankful that we still live in the greatest country in the world, even though there's a few warts here and there. Um, and one of, those, one of those areas of contention is to Ukraine or not to Ukraine? That's the question. I mean, even I've, recently I've been hearing people that initially were for it and are now again it because of the economic toll it's taking on us uh, with little tranches, uh, you know, tranches of uh, another, what, $37 billion the other day. Um, are you still four square, uh, you know, uh, for supporting that effort? I know you've been a oh, yeah. advocate. Yep. Okay, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, very much, Randy, because... The Russian state under Putin has systematically made itself an adversary hostile to American security and interests, and not just in Europe. Actually, that's the least of the issues, but in the Middle East and especially in the Indo-Pacific, where Putin has deliberately decided to become uh, Xi Jinping's uh, junior partner. He's Robin to his Batman. Mm. And so weakening the Russian state is very much in America's interest. Now, I do agree that um, th that we should not write blank checks. In other words, I think there's going to be greater scrutiny over how much is given to Ukraine, what it's spent on, et cetera. And I think that's a natural evolution of this policy and a good thing. But uh, it, it, the policy is succeeding in, in, in Ukraine, and we ought to continue it. What kind of oversight is there to make sure that the, the hard-earned dollars in this economic environment that we send there are not, not corruptly diverted, but are properly diverted? Right. Well, I mean, congressional oversight, in other words, where is the money going? Uh, is it actually producing what it's supposed to be producing? Uh, I, I have a fair level of confidence that it is because of the results on the battlefield, which would not be happening if this money were not going to the actual you know, military systems that they need. But I think it's a good thing if Congress looks at it and investigates it and makes sure, make sure that the money is being used wisely. For one thing, it will increase, I think, the confidence of the public in the overall policy. So that's good. But I mean, now is not the time we have a tendency to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, mm -hmm. or at least to snatch defeat from the jaws of something that was acceptable as we did in Afghanistan. And I hope we do not do the same thing in Ukraine. Do we feel as though uh, in the manner of Trump uh, and his expectations of NATO that the others are paying their pro rata fair share uh, in this in this effort? Yeah, I mean, the Germans, as always, they're doing a whole lot more than I would have predicted they would do. But that doesn't mean they're doing anything near the level of national power that they could bring to bear. One of the advantages of this for us and one of the areas where it's a strategic defeat for Putin is that it has pulled NATO together. We now have um, Sweden and, and Finland in NATO, and this is not like bringing in Monaco or something like that. I mean, these are countries that are very tough and very capable 
uh, and have distinct uh, capabilities as far as the military is concerned that will benefit us. So all that is to the good, I think. Um, and as I said, I think, you know, the policy is succeeding. Um, the Russians are, are losing and, and have already been weakened to the point where I think when we can get this thing over, they're not going to be a, a threat in Europe for a long time to come. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be less able to support the Chinese in Indo-PACOM. You know, as I think about it, Americans were comfortable with Ronald Reagan spending a fair amount of money, well, a lot of money, building up a defense that was so, so dominating and intimidating that he, without firing a bullet, defeated the Soviet Union. That cost money, and Americans were okay with it. But well, because it saves money. Now, here you're pointing at, a, at something that is an ongoing problem, which is what we're doing with our own forces. In other words, uh, there seems to be a reluctance in Washington to build up American military forces, which are always used, or of course, or certainly, except when the civilians screw it up, uh, should be used to protect our interests directly. Yeah. And uh, we're behind, and particularly within the first and second island chains near Asia. And that's the reason why the Chinese have been so aggressive. They're the dominant military power there. Yeah, if you want to have allies, and nobody wants to go it alone, uh, then you have to make sensible decisions about where your interests lie, and you have to execute them. And this idea that, you know, we start doing something, uh, and it's, be it, it's effective, and then we pull out of it is exactly the reason why our credibility has declined around the world. Afghanistan, again, being the latest and one of the greatest examples of that. Yeah. I mean, we can argue about whether we should have pulled out of Afghanistan. You know, I was of the view that as long as we could uh, sustain a presence there, uh, have an intelligence node in southern Asia, be in a position to watch what the Chinese were doing, be in a position to fight al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups and keep them from planning an attack. As long as we could do that with two or 3,000 American troops who were not even in a combat role, it made sense to do it. Um, so I would not have withdrawn at all, at least unless uh, the only alternative was to increase our presence there and put Americans in harm's way. But if you're going to withdraw, You've got to withdraw in a way that shows some competence, and we've never had a full investigation of that. I hope that the new House leadership does that. That was just a complete screw-up from start to finish, and, you know, the administration is responsible for it. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk about that. And uh, can you hang with us through the break? We have a hard break at the bottom of the hour. Can you give me another segment? Yeah. I, sure. It's really a, a, a privilege to talk to you because you have, of course, studied these things for, for years and very active in advocacy for our national security interests. And one of the things I'd like to talk about when we come back is the whole notion of when, going back to Ukraine, and we will, of course, cover... Um, you know, that I want to switch to the Pacific and Indo-Pacific then next. But what, when should, when, the question at the other side of the break will be, when should the Biden administration, the United States, the, the American people expect Zelensky to negotiate or not? I mean, he wants to take it all back. For all I know, it's Crimea too. I haven't really heard that specificity. But at what point is it appropriate to say, this is how we define a win? And, um, you know, and at what point do we overrule Putin, uh, 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 Zelensky or else take it away from him? That is all that support. Uh, we'll be back with Senator Jim Talent and talking about national security and America's interests and how far do we go in pushing it? This is it. the Gary Nolan Show.
9.35 on the Gary Nolan Show. Randy Tobler with you. Real privilege to talk uh, here on Gary's Air. We thank him for uh, yielding a little bit of it for a day. We hope he gets some rest. Senator Jim Talent joins us, a security expert in national security and foreign policy. We're talking about Ukraine. Jim, what does what does victory look like? I mean, I think Americans are very leery of mission creep and endless, endless involvement, however we are involved. What does that look yeah. like in your eyes? Um, okay, so that's a really good question, which the administration has not answered yet. Now, to be fair to them... Uh, ever since the end of the Cold War, we've, our administrations have not defined what success really is for American foreign policy. But in my view, it's a stable Europe, so we don't want uh, wars breaking out. We've seen with this one what happens when you have major conflicts. Uh, the results are unpredictable, and they're usually bad. I mean, we have elevated the risk, for example, of nuclear weapons being used. So you want a stable equilibrium, if you will, but one where... The adversaries, those who threaten American interests, and, and I just think it's important that we stand up for our interests and keep our interests in mind, where the adversaries are not empowered. Okay, so what does that look like in Ukraine? It's probably one of two outcomes. One of them is what the Ukrainians would like, which is to expel the Russians, for the Russian forces to collapse, which could possibly be accompanied by a change at the top of the Russian government, but in any event, a weakening of the Russian state for a substantial period of time. That's one possibility. Another would be one where the battlefield situation continues to improve on Ukraine's behalf. And we get to lines that are very defensible for them, where they're willing to give up some of what has traditionally been their territory in return for security, which would probably look like some kind of a demilitarized zone but here, your listeners, all Americans need to keep in mind that if the Ukrainians are going to accept that, if they're going to stop fighting after what's happened, they're going to expect a guarantee of their security from NATO. So it might well include Ukrainian accession to NATO and probably uh, NATO forces occupied in Ukraine to prevent another invasion. I think one of those two outcomes, uh, the first would definitely be acceptable to Ukraine. It's what they want. The second might be and either would be good for the United States. And so in order to get to either one, though, we have to continue uh, succeeding on the battlefield, which is the most likely thing to happen in the spring. I mean, Ukraine is going to continue pressing across a pretty broad front to keep the Russians from uh, having the time to reconstitute. Uh, they're going to focus on improving their air defenses, which the Russians are trying to exploit now. And they're going to position themselves for a further offensive in the spring. And I think all of those are fairly likely. The Russians are going to try and use their mobilization to strengthen their defensive lines. Maybe they can do it. I don't think so. And we can go into that if you, if you, you know, if you want to know why. None of this is certain one way or the other. And then in the spring, um, I, we're, I'm hoping and, and, and expecting further Ukrainian successes, which will put Putin in a position where he has to negotiate some kind of face-saving deal and then then we get down to the question of okay are ukrainian objectives diverging from american objectives and how do we reconcile it's a complicated like not 3d but 4d chess match because the dependence of because of their own um, de defossilization uh, uh you know energy wise in europe Yes. Has, has made them dependent on Putin, which changes the whole calculus as far as negotiations, I think. 
exactly. And we can't make up that deficit because Joe Biden sold us out the day he took office as far as being yes. able to produce that liquefied natural gas, you know. So I'm confused yeah, is, about what kind of trouble. leverage we have. West. You have all the stupid things that our government has done. Uh, this is one of the dumbest for all kinds of reasons. And the Europeans are even worse. So, I, you know, I think we're going to see a deindustrialization of Europe this, this winter. I think they're going, to get, they're going to be able to use reserves and rationing. And I think they're going to keep a lot of, you know, consumers from, uh, you know, from terrible privation. They're not going to be able to support the industrial sector. I mean, how do you continue manufacturing things when your energy costs have gone up eight to ten times? Mm. And so, you know, the long-term effects on the economy of Europe are going to be profound. And this is what the best and the brightest have brought us, the geniuses (laughs) at the World Economic Forum and places like that, who have just been operating in bubbles isolated from reality. And you know me, I don't say things like that very often. But this is just such an obvious terrible policy uh and uh, they're suffering from it now so there yeah there are broader strategic trends that we're going to have to deal with and one of them is energy security and in the case of the united states it's fairly simple just produce the energy we've got it's, it's just not that difficult um and um, and while exploring for other sources or developing other sources chief of which ought to be nuclear Yes, yes, and yes again. But I think about lost opportunities. During the Trump administration, there were there was momentum, and I know that there were policy um, positions by the government, and they, they were trying to, the administration was trying to push this whole, hey, let us, the United States, be the vendor of your, you know, uh, particularly the liquefied, you know, um, natural gas. And I thought, my goodness, we could now be in such a strong position. But now, even if even if Biden were to have some kind of a cognitive reawakening and ideological, which is not going to happen, it would take a couple of years or if not more to, to be able to tool up to tell Putin, you know, the, for your Western Europe to be able to tell Putin to go fluff off because we've got it covered. Yeah, I've got to get these gigantic, you know, funds to stop punishing and refusing to invest in energy companies or trying to force the the energy companies to become, you know, windmill operations or things like that. Now, I think all that's reversible here. Uh, You know, I'm not pessimistic about that, but it has to happen. You know, access, Randy, let's just stop talking about foreign policy for a second. Access to affordable and reliable sources of energy it may be the, the most important uh, criterion uh, for uh, human flourishing and human life. I mean, you know, we cannot continue in a situation where people either uh, have to pay, you know, three, four, five times what they should be paying for energy or they can't get it at all, you know, because there's brownouts or blackouts or the the grid won't support. Uh, a modern economy. So that has to happen. I think you're going to see it as a focus. I think energy and China are going to be the number one focus of the House Republicans. I hope they are. I hope it is. Pardon me. No, you're right. Um, No, and even even Bjorn Lomborg, who's a a self-avowed, you know, conservative kind of a guy, and he's concerned. But even he has said, look, you guys, more people die by not being able to heat their homes than not being able to cool their homes, you know, in a a climate change, global warming scenario. Oh, absolutely. And it's not even, it's laughable, you know. You're seeing a number of um, 
of environmentalists saying this. Michael Schellenberger is yes, probably yeah. leading the pack on this. Over in California. He's making the point that your, you know, your climate change policy has to be consistent with human life, basically. I mean, it really does. <laughs> yeah, and, but if, uh, if, you're Na- if you're Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and you're living in the cloistered communities and uh, you get the government to pay for all of your goods and make sure that you have your needs, you're just out of touch. Well, let's talk about China. I mean, so here we are concerned about our energy and about what's going on on the, on the, the Western Europe's eastern front. And now we've got China just, uh, he's got, I mean, Xi Jinping has to just be the Cheshire cat, just grinning ear to ear, huh? Uh, yeah, um, he has consolidated. I mean, the, the broad picture is this, okay? He has consolidated his power, as you know. So he stacked the Politburo. At the same time as for a number of years, the Chinese Communist Party has been just taking over bigger and bigger segments of of the country, you know, including, by, by the way, by pushing out of the way the Chinese state. So you're now having... You know, like you're having so many more areas of policy and activity controlled by commissions or committees of the Chinese Communist Party, including, by the way, their foreign ministry, which mm. is basically now run by the by the party. Okay. Mm. At the same time, China is facing some very serious intermediate and longer term challenges that they're not going to be able to address effectively. You know, beginning with demographics. And then debt, you've heard about the problems in the Chinese, uh, in the Chinese property sector. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're securely in the middle income trap now. They got four or 500 million people uh, who are still living uh, um, very poor lifestyles. I mean, the list goes on and on. But they have an armed forces, which is um, decidedly uh, superior in their strategic environment, in, out to the second island chain. And they have a leader who is very aggressive. And so what all this suggests is that we're going to see aggression from the Chinese in the near term in the next few years, which everybody in Washington is really worried about. I can tell you this. Uh, And yet they're not taking the action that I think would might be effective anyway. It gives us the best chance of deterring it. Did I hear you Uh, say if not when? A, a kinetic aggression well, by China? I, I, I mean, I'm when, sorry, not when, not if. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, when, I, not if? I think it is when, not if, unless we strengthen our deterrent power uh, within the first and second island chain. How do we do that? Well, um, the, the most obvious way to do it would be to, number one, stockpile all kinds of precision munitions, which means building out the industrial base so we can actually produce them. Okay, uh-huh. uh, and then the second thing would be to base several thousand long-range anti-ship uh, cruise missiles uh, in Indo-PACOM, uh, which we have a long-range anti-ship cruise missile. Lockheed produces it. We have about two hundred in the inventory, and we really need about two thousand because if we can po- uh, can pose a su- sufficient distributed threat, in other words, you don't. You know, right now we have the threats like on air bases that they can attack too easily. So if you can if you can um, base these missiles and distribute them so they can't be confident at all of being able to knock them out in the event of a conflict, uh, that makes it much more difficult for them to actually invade Taiwan because they're going to be afraid their ships and, and their, um, their landing craft are going to be sunk. So, I mean, if you really want to focus on one tactical thing we could do in the short term, that would be it. 
Unfortunately, the administration is busy building the force of the 1930s as if we don't have it, you know, seven years left in this decade. Uh, <laughs> no. So, again, this, this is something that I hope, and I, I will say this, I think there's going to be bipartisan support for these kinds of initiatives. There are a lot of Democrats that get this joke. Um, they increased defense spending well above what Biden asked for. Good. And so I, you know, I'm, I don't want to say hopeful, but I think it's plausible to believe that you're going to see some action on this front. But G is determined. He's going to be 70 years old. He doesn't have forever. He's now got, you know, his power consolidated. And, and you know, I'd be lying if I, did, if I didn't say that I expected him to move. Wow. And oh, let's face it also, he's confronting an administration which has not acted in a way to give anybody confidence yeah. that they can handle it, right? Yeah. And a, and a president who can't remember if he's in Colombia or Cambodia. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, look, Donald Trump, for all of his bluster and all of his behavioral miscues, which are legendary and which got the Republicans indirectly into a lot of trouble in this last election, at least his unpredictability and his um, his forthrightness with foreign leaders kept us out of a war, you know, and kept peace. Yeah, listen, I'm not saying that I'm going to support Trump in the upcoming uh, election because I I am inclined to think uh, that it's time to move on, uh, that the movement would be better off with somebody else at the top, mm -hmm. and we have some good people out there. Mm -hmm. But I've also said for years, and I wrote, I wrote to this effect just before the election, Trump was the best foreign policy president we've had since Reagan. Yep, there you go. I saw and it. And yep. he dragged us into the 21st century in dealing with China. He reversed yep. the, the military the sequester right. of military spending. And we're running to the edge of this segment as well. Yeah, but, we are. You know, I give a long list. Uh, I, hey, if you'll give me more, I'll take more. I don't want to abuse my time with you. Well, why don't we do it another time? Okay, let's do another time. But, hey, uh, yeah, Brian's giving me the stink eye over here, so i got to get going. <laughs> hey, well, this is always a real you privilege. Don't want, you don't want that to happen. No, right? this is a privilege to talk to you because you are the most informed individual I know on not only our foreign policy, our national security, but as it relates to our domestic policy and how they all intermingle. Jim Talent, thank you very much. This Thanksgiving, I am thankful once again for you, my friend. Hope you'll join me again soon. Well, vice versa. Have a great holiday and to all your listeners as well. We will do. Thank you. There he is, Jim Talent. Your reactions, 573-874-9390. Is Jim right? Stick it out in Ukraine. It's in our interest, or is he all wet? Let me know. We'll be back with the Gary Nolan Show, Randy Tobler in on the Zimmer Radio Network. 954, we went a little long with Jim Talent. I, I admittedly am conflicted about Ukraine. The something about the principled and moral need to just defend the right and by that I mean what is right um, lends me to think that I would rather give some of my tax money through legislative um, gifts or loans. Brian, you make a good point. Why not make it a loan? Okay, I get that. To people that are fighting for their very lives that didn't deserve what happened to them, it wasn't under their control, rather than to people in this country who have made foolish mistakes and expect me to fix it while they wait and don't work and expect handouts. I guess it's because my brother has done missions over there, knows those people, I've heard the, the conversations, the taped conversations, and, and those people are just 
really decent, good people. I'm talking about everyday Ukrainians. And I guess that that tugs at my heartstrings. And there is the national security component of this. Putin knows no end to his aggression. So it's important to hear Jim Talent's comments on this. This guy studied our history of uh, faux pas and successes in terms of foreign policy. And, uh, you know, before, you know, he knows it. So, Rick, you're on the line. Go ahead and uh, say what you need to say, man. Well, with Jim Talon, I wanted to ask him about the fall of uh, Afghanistan because, you know, we couldn't defeat the Taliban. No, we didn't. We wouldn't. Our generals failed us. And, you know, uh, in Iraq, the women begged, don't leave. They'll kill us all. The same thing has been happening in Afghanistan because of us leaving. But yes, this was even being set up under Trump because the generals we have are not leaders. And, uh, you know, I'm very concerned about that. But, you know, turning back to the weather, uh, you know, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which happened, I think, on Lake Superior, it happened in a storm like what has now hit the Northeast. So don't believe any global warming about this. It's just common weather. It just is. How do you feel about Ukraine? I mean, I I think there's, there's something distinctly American about defending what is right. It is right and good to defend a sovereign entity. Now, should we do that solely? No. Should we spill blood? No. Can we support people that are supporting themselves? I don't know. I'm, if we can support people in America who, able-bodied people who are on the dole, sorry, I'm going to call it the way it is. Why do we have a problem supporting people who are desperately fighting for existential uh, their existential lives. I mean, really, I, I maybe I'm tell me where I'm wrong, because Bill Parker told me I got a text here from Bill boot licking your unconstitutional overlords. That's pure Americana. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, we helped cause the situation which is now there. So yeah. I'm supporting to uh, stop the Russian aggression. Um, but, yeah, we're in dire straits with Iran, China, yeah. and Russia all ganging up at one point. Uh, you, you never win from a position of weakness. Uh, yeah, and, well, you know, yeah. I've heard that we, America, have weapons which make nuclear weapons obsolete. I hope we do. Yep, yep. <laughs> I hope so. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Rick. Good call. Appreciate it. Well, a guy named Brandon Rathard, who I happen to know, a good friend of mine, he's going to drop by after the top of the hour. We're going to talk about some Thanksgiving themes that I want to touch on. My first question is going to be that one that Gary touched on last week. What's your least favorite Thanksgiving food? We talked about it at my table over the weekend. I'm Randy Tobler, in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 